You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast here on Cleveland.com. It's Chris Fedor and Joe Varden with you recording this on Monday evening around 4.30 as Joe is about to go on uh, on the road as the Cavs take on the San Antonio Spurs Tuesday as they hope, Joe, that they can try and get some things right after uh, their blowout loss against the Oklahoma City Thunder. What's up, buddy? Well, partner, um, they have played five times on ABC, ESPN, and TNT uh, since Christmas. Mm-hmm. They're, o- they're 0 and 5 oh. and have been outscored by 89. Yikes. Yikes. 9. So, uh, yeah, pretty optimistic about this trip. <laughs> and the obvious tie with them playing on national TV and those games that you were speaking about. That's the best of the best that they're playing against. Usually those are measuring stick games, and the Cavs, even though in years past they struggled against the lesser teams, the thing that you could hang on to, Joe, is that when they played against the better teams, they got up for that level of competition, they played with more energy and more intensity and more focus, and they were able to win those games. Now they're playing against these teams, and they're not even in these games. Well, so, and you know, we got to go a little shorter today. We've got a lot of, of important things to get to. But I wanted this popped into my head. I want to know what you make of it. Okay. Um, so I just threw these numbers at you. Um, <laughs> the two games that were competitive uh, <laughs> were the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, those, you know, like, that. those were the two games where the Cavs had a, you know, a snowball's chance mm-hmm. uh, in, in either game. And, and, and that's, you know, they're the best, supposed to be the best team. So what do you make of that? Um, I don't want to make excuses for the Warriors because that's not what I'm here to do. But I think there were some funky things going on, just like the Cavs had some funky things going on with their selves. I think there were some funky things going on when it came to the Warriors at the time that they played the Cavs. The first time being they did not have Steph. And with Steph okay. Curry in the lineup, the, their offense is one that averages about 115 to 120 points per game. Uh, yeah, with, I thought it was like 121. Or yeah, right around there. I mean, it's astronomical. It's amazing the kind of ceiling that he gives the Warriors. Without him, they're not nearly as explosive offensively. So I think right. there's that. And then the second time that the Cavs saw him and the and the Warriors, um, the Warriors were in the midst of this uh, road trip that they're currently on. And um, I think it's something that probably played into it. Um, and I don't think the Warriors played great. I don't think they played their A game in the first half against the Cavs. 
Um, yeah. And I thought it was a bad sign that they didn't play their best game in the first half and they were only down by seven. I think you saw in the second half when they started playing up to their ability what happened in that game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you on all that. Although, you know, I mean, the Cavs sucked in the fourth quarter. They I agree. Six of 20, they were 6 of 23. Like, ugh. Well, <laughs> whatever. It's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, they're just bad all the way around right now. And, and uh, certainly, you know, you said at the top that you play you play these games on national TV. And by the way, the Tuesday game against the Spurs is on TNT. Um, you play against the best of the best, right? And the Cavs right. are just not even in the conversation. Not, you know, they're just not. By the way, would you like to guess which team in the NBA has the best record at home? Uh, well, I think it's the Raptors. <laughs> the Raptors. They're close. They're close. They've got the same amount of losses as the team with the number one, but two fewer wins than the team. It's San Antonio. San Antonio is 19-3 and at home, so the Cavs are walking into that hornet's nest. Oh, good. Well, you know, uh, and, and, they, and, and of course the Spurs lost their last game. Right. Um, at home, so that's how that goes. You know, I mean, the, the Cavs, uh, and they ended up in the finals, of course, they played there in March mm-hmm. and got beat by 30, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, either 30 or 31. Um, you know, any one of these blowouts in a vacuum doesn't mean anything. I mean, but it's just obviously we know right now that, that things are not good in Cleveland and and the number of, of blowouts and the ferocity with which they come uh, is indicative of, of bigger issues. So... Let's get into it. Yeah, here we are. I think the big question, Joe, is how do you fix this? I mean, it's funny because a lot of the players are kind of throwing their hands up in the air saying, I don't know. Um, You're in a situation now where it's January, so it's still early, but the All-Star break is fast approaching, and this slide for the Cavs is lasting longer than previous ones. And it doesn't seem like a lot of people within the organization have answers. Do you? No, it certainly doesn't. Um, it doesn't seem like they're like like anybody really has any answers. And and you know, I think in some at some level it starts with the, with coach. Okay. You know, Ty Lue, um, who is making zero changes uh, to the lineup and the rotation, despite um, you know an abundance of evidence uh, to, to the contrary mm-hmm. that, that that something should change. Um, and so I think, you know, we can start there. What are things that could be done? Ty um, has some restrictions aren't the right word, but, but he's, he's dealing with a team that has an exorbitant payroll, which means there are players playing with individually large contracts, and they're not being paid to sit. So Ty has to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also got a team that has a lot of championship rings, uh, a lot of years, and, and so egos are involved. So, so there's that. But he could do, he could go back to Tristan at the four full time mm-hmm. uh, in the short term and give Jay Crowder just a break. Uh, when, when the year began, Jay struggled tremendously and Ty decided to make the switch and, and play Tristan at the four and Kevin, uh, or, you know, just play Tristan and Kevin together. And Tristan got hurt. So he had to go back to Jay. Um, so Ty's done one. 
he could do that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even more realistically, given that Ty is insistent upon not making lineup changes in the middle of a losing streak, go back to what you used to do, which is make your lineup at positions that are interchangeable, make the changes based on matchups. Like, for instance, we were told yesterday that there are no lineup changes coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are led to believe, then, that when the Cavs play the Spurs, uh, and the Spurs trot Marcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol out there, mm. that, that Ty's going to counter with Kevin and Jay Crowder. Aye. So if that's true, then collectively the Cavs give up, like, uh, six or seven inches there because... You know, Kevin is 6'10", and Jay is 6'6". LaMarcus is, is 6'11", and he's their best player right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and Pau Gasol is 7 feet. And, you know, for, for the first year and a half that Ty had this job, he would do this. He would play lineup based more on matchup at the positions where you could make a change. So that's, that's one. Mm-hmm. The second thing that Ty could do, realistically, is while he tries to balance, if he because it's obvious he feels like he has to play 10 players and he has to give Derrick Rose a chance and he's got to play Dwayne and he's got to do all these things. Okay, well, while you figure all that out, the one constant should be that Corver and LeBron need to play together. They're not. Yep. Um, they're, they just aren't. You know, Corver's shot, his minutes, everything's gone down to him. Um He's not playing with LeBron nearly as much as he used to. And that shouldn't be. Um, you know, you should have to make some of the, you know, the, whatever juggling you want to do, it should be around that. So those are two things that I think I... Okay, so um, if, if, if we go into that, though, I, I think you make really good points here because go back to that Golden State, the two matchups against Golden State, the Warriors have been starting Zaza Pachulia basically all season long at center, and then against the Cavs, because the Cavs go with Kevin Love at center, Steve Kerr has gone with Jordan Bell twice. And it's right. not because Jordan Bell is better, and it's not because he's ready for that kind of matchup. I mean, heck, he's playing he's against the three-time Eastern Conference champs. It's because yeah. he feels like that, from a matchup standpoint, gives him the best chance against that particular team. So why don't you think Ty's willing to do that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know. And it, it could be that he, um, you know, it could it could be that he doesn't that, that he has lost some measure of faith in Tristan. Okay. Um, it, it, that that could be part of it. Um, I, I don't know if he has decided that he needs to play the lineup he thinks that gives him the best chance against the Warriors. If he has to play that lineup every night, interesting. That's kind of what he's doing. Yeah. Um. But this is, you know, there's all, you know, there's things that we aren't saying right now about entitlement and about uh, contract and, and, and sort of inner office politics over there and independence that, that are um, kind of tying ties in. Hmm. Okay? Okay. But the two things we just said are things he could do and he's not doing it. And I'm not sure why. Yeah, I keep going back to... Um... It's a hard situation that he's in here, Um, and I think the players have alluded to it a little bit, and I think Kyle Korver even mentioned it yesterday. Like, a lot of times you want a coach to make these changes um, 
and and you think it's going to be what's beneficial for the team, and really it sets them back even further. I think those are kinds of some of the things that you're talking about. Like, for example, right, Jake Crowder is somebody who, uh, he's been lost basically all season long, and he is shouting it at the top of the rooftops for everybody that will listen, saying that I don't know where my shots are going to come from, I don't necessarily know where I'm supposed to be on offense all the time, defense all the time. I'm trying to get used to this particular role, this system, all of those kinds of things. And they've made him a power forward as opposed to a small forward this year. So that's something new for him too. So he's juggling all these things and he's trying to be him his best self, but, but it's tough on him. So if you were to take him out of the starting lineup, because you want to put Tristan in there with Kevin Love and you want some more defense and some more rim protection and maybe some more rebounding. Um, Now all of a sudden you're taking Jake Crowder out. You're putting him in the second unit. Ty has already said that the second unit has a completely different offense than the first one. So now Jake Crowder is in a situation where he's running a different kind of offense, where he's being asked to do a lot of different things that he would with the first team. And he has no chemistry and no camaraderie with those guys because he hasn't played with any of those guys. So yeah. I think the danger in That's that, point. I think the danger in that is you lose Jay Crowder. Like, I don't know how he could be effective in that second unit, given all of the complications that he's had already in this new role that he's been given here with the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And it, it, it really is. Um, just, just, I'm actually going to argue with you on your second point, but the, but the okay. first point that you made that is a really good one, which is just um, you are asking Jay to do something else totally different when he's already failing at doing the first thing that's totally different. Yeah. Um, you don't want to ask you don't want to ask more from someone when he's already giving you less mm-hmm. uh, than what you expect. Um, but this idea about losing Jay or or losing Jr. just like kind of a you know something that's being bandied about about why you got to stick with these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> this team doesn't practice very much. The team goes to Napa. The team spends extra time in Toronto and Orlando, and it's going to go back to Orlando early. And you know, it's it's a club met over here. Um, and at some point, there's got to be accountability. Yeah. Like, if, if you're going to treat these players, like, if you're going to give them this kind, of, this kind of wiggle room and this kind of um, atmosphere, that's great. Certainly, LeBron James has earned it, uh, no doubt. And, uh, you know, uh, he's taken this group with Kevin and JR, Chumpers, and whoever else, for the last three finals. And they've all been a part of that. So, have they earned the veteran atmosphere? Fine, but you've got to live up to it. And and uh, they've tied, given these players in the starting lineup all this room to improve, all this, all of these chances. And you know, this Tuesday is game number forty-six. It's more than happy year. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's time. It's it's time. For the for the play to improve, uh, or to try something else, because the number one asset is the free agent at, at year's end, yep. and um, if the number one asset doesn't feel like he has a chance to win in Cleveland, he may not stay here. Um, it's not 
that hard to make this guy feel like he has a chance. There is talent on this team. Um, but right now, nobody feels very good. Right. So, it's just, it, 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 it is, what is the word? I don't know what the word is. It is something to watch this team play historically bad defense. To have gone to three finals and get run off the court night after night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and have there be no changes uh, coming. So, you know, I, <laughs> it, 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 it's a shame. When you talk to, I mean, well, I'll, I'll leave that be. I, I just, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you have seen out of this group and out of the, this group with Isaiah Thomas running the point yeah. that suggests that this will get better. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what about the other four defenders tells you that this team will ever be able to make up for what Isaiah can't do defensively? Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Um, and I, I think, and I think Ty is hurting matters too, Joe. Um, and I'm not saying that the Cavs could become a great defense. I, I don't think that they can. Um, I don't even think they can become a good defense. But, but I think he's, he's hurting matters because Isaiah is in a starting lineup with um, a guy in the backcourt who has fallen off completely defensively. He is one of the league's worst defensive players by numbers in J.R. Smith. So you don't have that guy helping Isaiah. In Boston, Isaiah was playing next to Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart, two tough, hard-nosed defenders that helped Isaiah as much as possible. He doesn't have that in Cleveland. And then you talk about the fact that the rim protector, the de facto rim protector in this starting lineup, the minutes that Isaiah plays most with, is Kevin Love. Kevin Love's not a rim protector. Now, I don't think he's the worst defender in the NBA, but he's certainly not a rim protector like Al Horford, and that's who Isaiah had protecting him in Boston. So when you look at this starting lineup, you say, who do you have that's going to help out Isaiah with the limitations that he has defensively that he can't do anything about those? He can't. Those are something that the Cavs are going to have to work around as long as Isaiah is going to be on this roster. So if that's the case, as Ty Lu, you probably have to start to think, how can I help that guy a little bit? Maybe mask some of those flaws that I see defensively. And, and I'm just wondering, Joe, is it that is it that he sees it and he doesn't think that it's beneficial for the Cavs long-term to make some of these changes? Or is it he doesn't actually recognize that there is a significant problem that needs changed? I, I, don't, no, I, I, I don't know. No, he, he, surely, he surely recognizes that there are, there are issues. Um, I, I wonder, and he has not said this to me uh, privately, I don't know, and certainly he hasn't mentioned it publicly. You wonder if they stay with Jay Crowder um, to make him tradable. Um, Interesting. I, I just don't know. Um, just because for Jay, you know, he, he had had such a good career coming like before coming here, and he had been so versatile and, and just um, such a, you know, he fits so well in the Boston system. Yeah. Um, and it just isn't happening. Right. Like, he, like he, it just, it, it hasn't happened here, and so I wonder if when they consider their trade assets, that they actually consider him to be one. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, this team, I, I, or maybe, maybe it wasn't until they saw uh, how this looks um, with Isaiah on the court that they realized how much worse he was defensively um, 
and, and just like what that would mean to an already suspect defensive team. And I think there's some truth to what you said too. If you know a lot of fans are complaining about no Channing Fry. Tristan Thompson getting those minutes over Channing Fry. We've had conversations, you and I, today on the podcast about maybe putting Tristan in the starting lineup. There are fans that want to go completely the other way and take Tristan out of the rotation completely because when the Cavs won 18 out of 19, Channing Fry was in there, Tristan wasn't. It was all about offense. The offense helped the defense and vice versa. Channing helped the floor spacing. Channing got shots that you want Channing to get as opposed to shots that maybe Tristan Thompson's getting in that role and yada, yada, yada. There might be some truth to what you said when it comes to Tristan Thompson. I mean, this is a guy who has been injured throughout the course of the year. The only way that he's going to work his way back is by getting consistent minutes to show that he can be healthy. And, you know, when you hear these trade rumblings, Joe, the name that a lot of people talk about, and who knows what his value is, I don't think he's got a whole bunch, but Tristan's not going to increase his value sitting on the bench and and Channing Fry being in his spot. You know, if he does increase his value, if there is any value to increase, the only way he can do that is by playing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, he makes... um... I think he's making $15 million this year. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to pay somebody to, to sit on the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, but I still think with Tristan, I mean, we've said this before on the podcast, he, he's been all right um, since he kind of got back into shape. He just no longer fits at all what this team does. Right. You know, this team's moved on from defense and whatever. Um, you know, we've, we've run over that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the other, you know, I mentioned everybody is, is Jay Crowder, um, a, a piece that can be moved. You know, the, the other thing is, like, you have to look at what are they doing um, trade-wise. You know, I talked to somebody today who thinks that, that George Hill is really in play for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, he is somebody that you could play alongside Isaiah. Um, you know, the question could also be, I mean, Kemba Walker is available, um, is is Isaiah untouchable? Mm. Um, you know, he's barely been here. He's in the final year of, of a contract. Um, does he fit uh, with what else is on this team? Um, do the Cavs feel like they are already invested so much in him just by trading um, a former, former number one pick for him and, and, and doing all the work to rehab his hip? Maybe that means that they have him in their long-term plans. I'm not sure. Right. Um, but you know, and, and then you say, "Well, how much of all of this mess is that he's just trying to play himself back into shape?" I mean, his offensive numbers are beginning to improve, um, and the defense is, is obviously worse. So, uh, I I don't know. I I don't know there, but but the Cavs are going to try to do something with the trade deadline. Like that, George Hill could be an option. Um, they'd like DeAndre Jordan, but do they have enough to get all these guys to think you'd have to go to players that you haven't talked about as much to, 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 to maybe move the needle there? You and I have had the conversation away from this podcast about Isaiah. Um, and if I'm the Cavs, Joe, I seriously consider moving him. Now, there are problems here. Obviously, he's in the final year of his contract. Um, he he hasn't looked like his old self. All the other teams around the NBA know that. He's going to want a big contract. 
So if anybody wants him, either they're hoping that he's an expiring contract or they're hoping that maybe um, he can be a a future piece for them and they're willing to sign him to the big contract that he wants in the offseason. I just don't know that a lot of teams look at him that kind of way. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, as you said, since he has come back, this team has taken a further plunge defensively. And while offensively he's coming off his best game, um, they need him to be uh, MVP-type player, elite offensive player on a nightly basis, consistently, in order to deal with the ramifications that they're going to have by playing him big minutes um, and what that means to the Cavs defensively. And offensively, LeBron hasn't been as good since Isaiah came back. Kevin hasn't been as good since Isaiah came back. And this is a ball-dominant guy who is going to take probably the most shots for the Cavs on a nightly basis. It's probably going to be him or LeBron. It's been a lot Isaiah recently. Um, that That's who he's always been throughout the course of his career. So dealing with all of those kinds of things... I just don't know that he's a great fit for what makes the Cavs potentially a great team. Um, and, and I think they put a lot of pressure on their offense on a nightly basis because of how bad they are defensively. And they don't have the personnel to fix that. And Isaiah only makes that worse for them. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, the front office um, publicly has been very quiet. So it's, it's a little difficult to gauge. I mean, it's, I think it's clear in, in my conversations with some of those guys as well. Like we know they feel like they need to get better, and that, that of course, has been exacerbated over the last couple of weeks. Um, and obviously with some of these trade overtures that they're beginning to make, they, they feel that the changes are necessary. But, you know, <laughs> for, for at this point anyone in the organization to, to, to shrug and say, well, we always do this, um, and or, uh, well, you know, we haven't been <laughs> together very long. Um, I mean, you, you are four-tenths of a percentage point from being the worst team in, in the NBA defensively for the year. Woo. Okay? So that, that, that doesn't just mean that, oh, well, we can't defend because we're working Isaiah back. No. Yeah. No, no. That is a full season body of work, yep. and you're the worst. Yep. The worst. You can't be the worst at anything, yep. Major, when you have LeBron. And you are. Yeah. That, like, th- that is a major, major warning sign. Um, I mean, no one's asking them to be elite defensively. Right. Like, people are just looking for mediocrity <laughs> defensively. That's it. And and they are the worst. Yeah. The worst. That's, that's unacceptable. If you look at individual defensive rating, among the bottom 20 in the entire NBA, you have J.R. Smith, Isaiah Thomas, Derek Rose, Kevin Love, and Jay Crowder. Think about that. There's a lot Where's of guys LeBron? who get a lot of minutes for the Cavs. Where's LeBron? Yeah, I mean, he's not there, but but he's not very high. I, I think he might, Joe. I think he might be the only starter who's better than uh, 112, which is just awful. I think he might be the yeah. only one, and he's barely below that. I was looking at that the other day. And, and, and like you know, it, it, you know, one of LeBron's points on Monday was that it's all connected. That, yeah. Um. So you know, our, 
are all four of those guys playing horrendous defense on their own? I don't know. Um, you know, their, their numbers, it's a, it's a sinking ship being brought down by just how bad they are right. collectively. Um, but I think it also suggests that no one is playing the kind of defense that is expected of a championship team. No one. Completely agree. Um, so I think that's all that's wrong, right? Is there anything else that's wrong with the Cavs at this point? I think we kind of uh, covered it. Yeah, it, it, you know, just the, the final thing quickly is just LeBron is supposed to be the tide that lifts all boats. Right. Um, and then in January, he hasn't been able to do it. Yeah, I think that's um, fair. His numbers are way down from, from where they have been all season uh, in several categories. And, you know, he was talking on Monday that he does recognize this and he realizes, like, he knows it's been that way his whole career, that, like, it, it ends up being on him to fix this. Mm. Um, and given that the reinforcements from outside the organization could be few and that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of movement to change things um, within the organization, you know, it kind of does fall on the run. So, yeah. If he can find a way to get back to playing the way he was, that back to trigger something. Do you have time for rapid-fire questions? Yes, rapid-fire. We have planes to catch. Okay. Hey, you guys. This one comes from... Uh, Brandon, he says, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, no. No? No. Okay. I'm not even going to get it. I don't know what it, it is, but I'm, I don't know. I'm not even no. going to get into that debate. Um... Hayes wants to know, should Ty Lue be fired? The Milwaukee Bucks just fired Jason Kidd. Should he be next? No. Uh, no. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that is the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Kidd being available is not... It, it takes away an, art, an argument um, from Ty, which is like, who else is going to come here? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Kidd might. And, and, and Kid might come and, and think that he would have to play with LeBron, um, but but no, I I I I mean Ty has built up way too much cachet, winning the 15 title, right? Getting back to the finals last year, he promised the defense would be better in the playoffs. He was correct, so I would not fire him. No. Right. I mean, I feel like you. He is not without blame. There are things that he could be doing better. I think he should try and lean more on an offensive-minded lineup because that's their best chance, given the personnel that they have. Um, but at the same time, um, at the time that the Cavs fired David Blatt, they had a high opinion of Ty Lue. He was in the running for head coach at the very beginning. They went with Blatt instead, making Ty the highest-paid assistant coach. So there was someone there. There was the next successor already on the staff. If you let go of Ty... Who's that next successor on this particular staff? You have to ask yourself that question. And then for the people that bring up David Fisdale or something because of his relationship with Dwayne Wade and LeBron from their days together in Miami. So now you're bringing in a brand new coach in the middle of the season when you're trying to win a championship. And whether they can or not is irrelevant at this point. It's probably up for debate. But you're bringing in a brand new coach midway through the season and either giving him Ty's staff or you're giving him a new staff. So you're overhauling the entire coaching staff midway through the season if you bring somebody from outside the organization. It just doesn't make a lot of sense midseason to do that. Well, sure. And then, like, you know, what I alluded to with Jay Kidd, I mean, that is that would be a thing for anybody who would consider coming here in a vacancy 
is um, what LeBron going to do? Because I'm not signing up to come to Cleveland if next year I'm coaching Jetty and Shump and and you know two rookies that, that we don't even know who who they are yet. Right. Um, so no, uh, like that. I think I think that it's a hard one. But but the staff thing is another great point, and then just I mean Ty's resume. Just, it's certainly beyond being fired this year. Somebody wants to know, last question before we get out of here, of the names that have been rumored and linked to the Cavs in trades, uh, which guy do you think is the best fit for them? If they could get... <laughs> I mean, if we're being... If, if we're answering the question uh, truthfully, the, the best fit for this team is probably Kemba Walker. Hmm. Um, that means a whole lot of shifting and a whole <laughs> lot of undoing of, of what has been done. Yeah. Um, but Kemba is available, and he would probably be the best fit for what they need. Going back to what you said about how it's kind of a team thing and it's all connected when it comes to the Cavs' defense and you can't just fix one piece or one player, change that out. Um I'm intrigued by George Hill here, understanding that he's been a dreadful defensive player this year in Sacramento, and Sacramento's been a dreadful defensive team, but I feel like maybe, possibly, if you take him out of that situation in Sacramento and you bring him here, um, even though it's not great and there aren't great defensive components around him, maybe he can regain some of that form that he showed when he was actually on a contending team. So I'm very intrigued by that. And I think he can play the two guard. And maybe that helps you defensively when it comes to masking Isaiah. And maybe that fixes some of the shooting guard problems that you've had with J.R. Smith, too. One move doing two things. Well, that, one may, that may be the move that happens. So if, if, if you feel like that's the best one, maybe, you know, that's, that's encouraging. All right, buddy. Safe travels to San Antonio. We'll talk soon. Thanks, brother.